Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap Giants podcast from NJ Advanced Media, the Star Ledger, NJ.com. Daryl Slater here with Bob Brookover. Uh, we are recording this Tuesday morning, October the 11th, and your Giants are 4-1. and one. Uh, So <laughs> pretty crazy. Uh, it, we just got back from London yesterday. Of course, the Giants beating the Packers 27-22. On Sunday in London at that amazing Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and wow. I mean, there's just so much to like wrap your head around here. I mean, the Giants are in the thick of the AFC East or the NFC East race um, behind the 5-0 Eagles right there with the Cowboys at 4-1. Uh, I mean, this 14-point comeback against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers tied for the, uh, let's see, no. So, the, so the, the second biggest comeback, I should say, since 2013 when they had a 14-point comeback. Of course, the 18-point comeback in 2019 with Daniel Jones. Down in Tampa, as his rookie year, and everyone thought, you know, look, they have something special in Daniel Jones. And you know what? Maybe they don't, but uh, he played pretty darn well in this game. So did Saquon Barkley. So did this shorthanded defense. A whole lot to wrap your head around with this. Um, but uh, yeah, we're a little jet lagged, but uh, there's a lot to talk about here because guess what? You know, the Giants are suddenly relevant after winning two games in the Titans and the Packers, who pretty much nobody thought they would win. And the schedule ahead is interesting. This team is is suddenly not necessarily rebuilding. Uh, how do you wrap your head around it, Bob? Uh, I'm, like a lot of people, I think I'm stunned by the whole thing. Um, you know, I really I had a former co-worker from the Inquirer email me or text me while we were in London. I thought the Giants weren't supposed to be any good. <laughs> I said, well, I think a lot of people thought that, but they are surprising all of us um the credit there's a lot of different places the credit can go for this uh but i think it it starts with the the head coach brian dable um and his coaching staff is especially his two coordinators mike kafka and, and wink martindale but you know when you turn to the player side of that um you know daniel jones has to be n- number one among the players because you know he, and he showed so much in this game you know, uh, the week before this game, we didn't know if he was going to be playing at all because of a, a sprained ankle. He did everything he could. You know, we knew by Wednesday that he was going to because you could see. And, and Dable talked about how he was in the, the trainer's room tirelessly trying to get himself ready. Um, a, a great thing to be, sh- you know, as a leader to show your teammates, hey, I'm going to be there for you. Uh, and then Saquon Barkley essentially did the same thing. He leaves the game. He leaves the game on the first play of a 91-yard touchdown drive. Um, they go down and score anyway. He comes back and scores the winning touchdown after a long catch to set set up the situation where they could score the touchdown. Uh, you know, your two leaders, your two offensive leaders do that, and you're going to get guys to follow. The the, the just totality of, of how impressive this win was. I mean, this will go – let's – Let's be clear. I mean, this is one of the most memorable Giants wins in recent memory. Um, they haven't had a lot of them. This team was 22-59 and 59 over the last five years, tied with the Jets for the worst record in the NFL. Um, and and I, I'm hard-pressed to think of many or any of those 22 that really stuck out, stuck out like this one. Did. Um, and so as, as, you, as you look at it, <laughs> They're off to their best starts since 2009 when they opened 5-0. and And now maybe that's a cautionary tale because they did finish 8-8 eight and eight and missed the playoffs. But the expectations were different for that team, Eli Manning and the whole thing. So this one just kind of feels um, 
different. Uh, not to say I was necessarily paying close attention to this team in 09, but um, that's how long it's been since they've had a start this good. Um, and I mentioned earlier the, the context of how long it's really been since they had a comeback like this, only one of them in, since 2013 that measured up to this. And so they were down 17-13 until a minute 15 remained in the second quarter. They hadn't done anything on offense, and they put themselves back in the game down 10 at halftime, down 7 going into the third quarter, and then the two touchdown drives, which will be remembered uh, if this team does something special for a very long time, that that drive, that 91-yard drive where Barkley got hurt on the first play and Daniel Jones drives down the field, uh, that, I mean, you could make a case it, it's the best drive of his career. I mean, look at what he did on that drive. I, I wrote a little something about this. No Barkley in the game, right, and all that wide receiver attrition. Uh, Matt Breida for 13 yards. The Jones scramble for 14. Marcus Johnson for seven yards, Bellinger for 11 yards on third and four, then a Jones eight yard scramble on second and seven. So he made countless, you know, big play after big play on that drive connected with Johnson again. And then David Sills. I mean, these are not, (laughs) these players are not, uh, you know, the upper echelon of players in the NFL offensively. And then of course, Saquon Barkley comes back. He has that absurd run. My gosh. I mean, we were sitting there and we had an open air press box there out in the stands I think the whole stadium gasped on that run. Uh, I mean, Saquon was amazing in that game. Uh, I think the whole stadium was just stunned by what the Giants were doing the entire yeah. game. Um, you know, at 17 to three, I got to admit, I was like, okay, the, yep. you know, they came out, they, they're off to the three and one start was nice. They stepped up in class and they're not with the Packers yet. Um, you know, it, it was kind of like opening day. With the Titans, who you who you thought were really good and maybe are better than we give them credit for, because they're three and two now. Um, you know, they really dominated the first half against the Giants. You didn't think the Giants were going to be able to, you know, come back from that. They did. Uh, it's the trademark of this team. They don't really care what the situation is. They keep playing. You know, um, that's who, who was it? there was somebody in the locker room afterwards. I think it was Julian Love talking about he was talking about losing a Dory Jackson, uh, you know, not having him come out in the second half. And he's, he said, I've been around for four years and teams, uh, a lot of our teams suffered injury. When we suffered injuries, that was pretty much the end for us. We, we could not with, withstand the injuries. We were done. He said, this team is different, you know, and if, if it's a voice of a guy who has been around and lived it, which hit, uh, a guy like Julian Love and a guy like Saquon Barkley, they have lived it. They they know different when they see different, and they, they're seeing different. Very true. And it's interesting because we heard some of those similar things after the Titans win in week one from Leonard Williams, Saquon Barkley, talking about you know when the Giants fell behind in the past, this wasn't really a team that uh, could win close games per se, right? And so, And they're right. I mean, the numbers bared that out. But it was sort of like, okay, they got a nice win over the Titans in week one, and as it turns out, the Titans aren't that great. And um, inarguably, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. And so for them, the Giants to be able to do what they did against this Packers team, regardless of, I think, how this Packers season turns out, uh, was just was just remarkable. And then, like you said, a total sea change from how this thing has, has gone in the past for this team and a very good sign, I think, for, for the resilience of this team. And so not only did they storm back and get the 91-yard touchdown drive to, to tie the game, not only did they get that 60-yard touchdown drive on the very next possession, sparked by the Barkley run and the Juke, uh, I think Darnell Savage's underwear is still on the field over there in North London. <laughs> <laughs> on that, and then Barkley with a two-yard direct snap, he, he does a little layup. Uh, 
celebration. And so that, that was the winner. Um, but uh, obviously you cannot discount, as you mentioned, what this defense did given the attrition. So like, all right. So they held the Packers to essentially hundred yards in the second half after giving up 200 in the first half, the giants cornerbacks entering this year, James Bradbury gone. It was supposed to be Aaron Robinson and Odori Jackson. Okay. Aaron Robinson didn't play in this game. Cordell Flott was supposed to be a backup. He didn't play. They go with Fabian Moreau. Oh, and no, but you know, they still have a Dory Jackson. Nope. He gets hurt. And they put in who Nick McLeod. Like you gotta be kidding me. I mean, this guy has played, I think I, we were talking about their name, 14, 14 snaps, 14 defensive snaps, 14 all last year, undrafted rookie. So they were and down. This, to the year, this year he played 14 special team snap and he was among the injured limited in practice all week going into this game. Yep, with a hamstring that had been bothering him. And so they were down at their number three cornerback, essentially, on one side. Their number two cornerback on the other side. And they hold Aaron Rodgers to 100 yards in the second half. I, what do you make of it? I, what can you make of that? <laughs> um, you know what? I was thinking about a, a little earlier this morning when I got up to write my my post for, for the morning. Um, there's that thing called chemistry uh, that you can never see coming. It, it only... You only see it when you when you see it, you know it, but you don't know it's coming until you see it, especially with a team that is not expected to be good. I mean, I, I've seen other teams like this in the, all the years I've covered sports, but there's it's the same with all of them. Until you actually see, you know, the team winning and buying into, you know, all these guys are uh, kind of parroting what Brian Dable says about it's one game, it's next man up it's no excuses that you know they're all saying the same thing oh yeah well great win over the Packers but we're already on to next week you got a 24-hour window they're all saying the same things and that's you know that's an indication for I don't know you know I wasn't here for other Giants coaches but what Brian Dable was saying to them is getting through and you know I think we talk about guys who uh, were not expected to do really much of anything that being in terms of contributing to this team, certainly Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau would be two of the top candidates there. Um, but just quickly revisiting offensively what they were able to do. We talked about the attrition uh, at cornerback. Like if you, if you told somebody, all right, you're going to go into playing Aaron Rodgers in an essential road environment, which we'll get to uh, and with your dad, your number three cornerback on one side, and number two on the other. Oh, and by the way, offensively, if you're going to try to win a shootout with this guy, you're going to not have like almost all of your top receivers. I mean, the Giants' healthy receivers going into this game were Marcus Johnson, uh, the practice squad call-up, Richie James, David Sills, and Darius Slayton. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, and so the same Darius Slayton who was um, basically, you know, gone, essentially gone. And he would have been – if he had said he wasn't going to take a pay cut, he would have been cut. He would have been cut. I mean, and, and, and quite frankly, he was forced into taking a pay cut – because he he had earned performance escalators in the final year of his rookie contract, which is insane. So now the guy earned these escalators and is not going to see them because the new GM was able to hold that over his head. Now that's a loophole in the in the in the, in the NFL rookie contracts that that money is not guaranteed. But Darius Slayton didn't complain, uh, kept his head down, kept working, goes out there and puts up six catches on seven targets for seventy nine yards in London. Um, so while Barkley goes seventy rushing, thirty six receiving in the game winning touchdown, which is awesome, of course. Uh, Darius Slayton, you know, let's not overlook what he did there. And uh, pretty impressive, right? It, it was. And, you know, even you think Slayton was terrific. Uh, and, and again, didn't see it coming, couldn't have seen it coming. 
But other guys, they talk about, well, other guys contribute in other ways. And I, I went back and looked at the Bellinger touchdown, which is another guy contributing on a play. You know, it's supposed to, the play is called the Bellinger pass. It becomes the Bellinger run. He, he suggested changing the name to Bellinger RPO, which is hilarious. Uh, so <laughs> he, uh, but he scores. And if you go back and look at that play, he only scores because David Sills makes a terrific block. Um, you know, Richie James, who we keep talking, you know, is, is their leading receiver that we're all stunned that Richie James, their leading receiver, they signed as a punt returner. But he had some huge third down conversion catches in this game. Uh, Daniel Jones was great on third down in this game. Uh, fi- and, you know, not just to Richie, he was finding whoever he had to find or using his legs to convert to third downs. Um, you know, <laughs> there's just so many things we could talk about forever with this team that, you know, whatever they, whatever it takes. I mean, it basically is whatever it takes to win, they are doing. Pretty remarkable stuff. And um, let's, you know, we talk about the players obviously deserve plenty of credit for this from Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley being, you know, top line guys who deserve credit coming out of Sunday to Darius Slayton, sort of a mid-level player to, you know, to Fabian Moreau and Nick McLeod, sort of that next tier group of guys all deserve credit. But I mean, you talked about the Bellinger RPO, like Mike Kafka has had a couple of just, fantastic play calls like that that have worked out. We call them trick plays or whatever. Um, and, of course, Wink Martindale, the job he did in the second half against Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, the Giants, we knew Wink Martindale was a head coach and candidate going into this year. Heck, he interviewed for the Giants job when Joe Judge got it. Um, but I know we're getting way ahead. It's October 11th. It's not even, you know, it's not even Halloween yet. Uh, but the Giants have two coordinators here who will be getting, if this keeps up, head coaching interest next offseason, which is – uh, I don't think anyone expected that. We all thought like, oh, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones will play out this year and they'll be gone. Well, as it turns out, uh, maybe they're going to have to think about that, what they're going to do with Barkley and Jones, and maybe they're going to wind up having to replace one of their coordinators, uh, which is kind of weird to think about, right? But what, I'll just ask you this question, Daryl. What would you do if the Giants go, let's say, 11-6, and six, make the playoffs, and won a playoff game, and as we sit here right now, Saquon is 40.6% of their offense. He's counted for 40.6 of their total yards. And Daniel Jones is uh, – I was looking at the ESPN QB ratings. They they don't just do a straight passer rating. They factor in other things. Uh, you know, he's 19th in passer rating in the league, and he's done more pro- probably done more damage with his legs than his arm, but – the ESPN QB ratings, which I think more pe- people recognize as a more um, sophisticated and a better way to look at quarterbacks, um, has him all the way up to 14th. He's he's five spots behind Jalen Hurts, um, you know, who's the talk of the NFL right now, and you know he's he's climbing and he's he's growing on the head coach and he's you know so back to my point, you go 11 and you go 11 and six and you win a playoff game. With those two guys continuing to play the way they're playing right now, what do you do? Well, you know, it's interesting. We'll start with Barkley, I guess, because the market for running backs now plays in the Giants' favor. Because, look, I mean, the Giants can can look at this and say, um, well, let, I mean, first remember here that they can only use a franchise tag on one of these guys, right? So (laughs) if we get into that discussion, um, but with the market for running backs being what it is, I mean, they could tell, you know, look, Barkley could have a great year. They could say, all right, you know, the reality is it's going to cost them less to retain Saquon Barkley than Daniel Jones. And um, 
I think there's certainly a possibility that they could that they could re-sign Saquon Barkley because um, the market has been such, and, and the contracts have played out in such a way that you know they're not going to have to necessarily, maybe not give him the type of monster contract that some of these other guys got that wound up failing. Um, so there is that. Um, I think obviously you have to strongly consider. I don't. I just don't think you can. If you go eleven and five and make the playoffs and win a playoff game, I mean that's a huge, hugely exceeding expectations. I think definitely, but in that case, you do everything you can to probably keep those guys because they will have been a big part of it. I mean, the tricky thing comes in is if they go nine and eight and miss the playoffs, right? Like, which is possible. So that's that weird middle ground, right? They're not, they're they're pretty good, right, and surprising, but they didn't make the playoffs. Or if they go eight and nine, um, pretty good, surprising. I mean, everyone looked at this team and thought the ceiling was six or seven wins. Right, so once you get above that ceiling, then it becomes what now? Um, the, the the thing with Barkley perhaps is a little bit more cut and dried. Uh, the thing with Jones is, you know, they already decided they didn't want to pay the full guarantee of you know fifth year option. If you look at what the look at what the franchise tag is going to be for a quarterback next year. Um, so I was looking at a Pro Football Talk post on this about Lamar Jackson. So it's probably going to be about thirty four million dollars for the non exclusive franchise tag. Um, which is all they would have to do. They don't. They only need to pay. It would be thirty-four. The exclusive tag would be about forty-five. But you know, without getting into it, the non-exclusive will work because no team is going to give up two first-round picks for Daniel Jones. So thirty-four million dollars. What that essentially would do is serve as a placeholder. Like that doesn't mean you're going. He's going to be thirty-four million against your cap next year. It it would mean that. Um, you know, while you try to work on a long-term deal, you're going to have to give him at least $34 million guaranteed somehow spread out over the course of the deal. And you could massage that with cap hits. They, you know, they have the cap space next year now that they've bit the bullet, uh, you know, this year to be able to move on from guys to move on from guys. So they're, they're in a better shape cap wise next year. So it gives them flexibility, man. I mean, $34 million is a lot for Daniel Jones. Like, but how do you pull the plug? Even if he's average, right? It, how do you pull the plug on a guy who led you to eleven and five in a playoff win? That's what's crazy, right? What if what if he's not like wowing statistically? Then what do you do? Yeah, well, I mean, right at the moment he's not wowing statistically, right? I mean, exactly, and they're winning, so it's crazy because he's making, made a lot of good good decisions at crunch time, and that's that's something Dable gave him credit for the other day. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what I do. You know, I, I I like the idea of putting the tag on him and having him for that one year. Uh, even at, even at that price, uh, is, is this is the example, the all time example of a guy who played the franchise tag and got rich doing it was Kirk Cousins, um, and Daniel Jones. Problem, maybe he's certainly not going to have. He doesn't have the same statistics as Cousins, who's been a very uh, the, the stats are very favorable to to Kirk Cousins over his career, even though the wins and losses haven't been. Um, and, and the stats aren't as favorable with Daniel Jones, but he's he's proving right now that you can win with him. Um, I like the idea of a, a franchise tag and drafting a guy at the same time. You know, draft a guy you think you can groom. Uh, Daniel might, probably isn't going to like that because if you're the number one quarterback, you want him to draft people who can help you right now. Um, but from a giant standpoint, that might not be a bad way to go. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know. Like, I mean, to me, it's like if you commit the 34 to the guy, then, you know, you probably aren't drafting a guy. But, I mean, then again, the Eagles, they, they didn't do it in the same exact year as Carson Wentz. But um, 
they had Jalen Hurts <laughs> in there not long after Carson Wentz was pretty good. So yeah. it's so a tricky, it, was it was people were stunned when they drafted Jalen Hurts that uh, it's a tricky needle to thread. It really is. Um, I do think that if they franchise tag him, it's probably unlikely that he plays the year under the tag next year. I mean, they would probably do that. They would tag him as a placeholder and then try to get that deal done by the middle of July. Uh, but there's just so much, you know, a lot of what ifs here. But the important thing I think to remember for Giants fans is like, these are all like good problems to have. Um, it's certainly better than being one and four and knowing that you're going to be moving on from Barkley and Jones next year. Uh, it's a good problem to have to like wrap your head around this, especially because, like I said, I mean, the cap situation is is much friendlier to the Giants next year. And maybe you have the ability to do something like this. And it's a good problem to have to start thinking about, oh, geez, you know, having to replace coordinators next year. Man, that, that those are those are problems that good teams have. I mean, that that's what look, the Patriots right now are dealing with all of the fallout from losing Josh McDaniels to the to the Ra- Raiders. But um you know, the reason they lost him is because they he did a good job. Figuring it out, though. <laughs> What's that? They seem to be figuring it out. They won twenty nine nothing last week. Right. I wouldn't right. be surprised right. if they figured it out before the season was over. Correct. And, and so that's sort of a different animal. I mean, Bill Belichick. Yeah, I'm getting off track there. It's not like a second year coach and Brian Dable having to replace his coordinators. But again, we're getting we're we're thinking about all these things just because the Giants have 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 gone out there and, and just shocked everybody. Um, and and we, I did mention it earlier, and I wanted to touch on this about it, the the ways in which this game was surprising. The comeback, you know, best start since 09, second best comeback since 2013, doing it against Rodgers, doing it while shorthanded in the passing offensive game, doing it while shorthanded in the passing defensive game. Uh, and it was a road game. I mean, that was that was his last. If you went out and sat in Lambeau Field uh, for a game, I mean, that place was just as loud as that probably, right? Um, I don't know if it was just as loud, but it was, I mean, it was, and all the Giants players were commenting on it after the game, how the Packers fans surprised them, how well they traveled. Um, it, it was comparable to me. I, I covered a, the Steelers Seahawks Super Bowl in like 2006 or seven. And, and, you know, you, you got a Super Bowl. You're like, okay, it's going to be, you know, 60, 40, 55, 45. Well, it was about 94. 90 to 10 Steelers fans that day, um, which which really surprised me because the Steelers, you know, the Seahawks had never been in a Super Bowl before, uh, and this is their first, and they have a great fan base, but I guess they didn't want to travel to Detroit for their Super Bowl. Uh, but this was like that. This, this was at least 80 to 20%, uh, maybe, maybe closer to 90 to 10. Um, the thing that really stood out to me about the whole thing was, you know, as much as it was so heavily favored for the Packers, at the end of that game, you could hear the Giants fans uh, getting loud and louder than the Packers fans uh, because they were so into the game. Uh, it, you know, however many were there, they made themselves heard, uh, and they were definitely more of them there at the end of the, you know, ten minutes after the game. It was all Giants fans, and it was Brian Dable looking at them and pumping his fist and showing every ounce of uh, emotion that he has. Oh, yeah. That scene with him coming off the field, pumping his fist at the fans, yelling, waving his arms up and down. I mean, his face was in his head. We were, like, beat red with excitement. <laughs> like, um, just, a, you know, certainly the most memorable moment so far of his brief head coaching career. And, like, 
Yeah, I mean, look, the Packers fans travel. This was this was they you know they travel and they're everywhere. Um, and this was uh, their first international game, so it was like a really novel. Con- I mean, I'll t- novel concept for those fans. I, I went all over London when I was there, and it was crazy. Like I was going to like you know not like touristy central places, and um, well, some of those, but like little pubs out of the way, and there were like there were Packers fans like at all of these places, not so much Giants fans, but these people were everywhere. And it's like, I'm thinking, how did you find these places? I guess, you know, they have Google just like I do, but, (laughs) um, but it's good to know you have something in common with the Packers fans. Yeah. Look, I mean, they, they really, this was a big deal. And I was there till like midday yesterday and these people were still there. They were, they made a big week of this thing almost. And, um, so it was a really, uh, I mean, and obviously it was a home game for them. I'm not sure how the ticket allotment worked, but um, uh, but whatever. I mean, the, look, the, and and I should we should mention to people here one of the cool things about this experience for well, like for us at least, right? And being able to kind of feel that emotion and see Brian Dable doing that what he did after the game was that like the press row at these European soccer stadiums, at least at Wembley and now at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, is outside, and you're like mid you're like at the mid level it's an incredible view like uh, that's totally uncomparable to what we have here where you're way up high and you're behind glass uh at pretty much every nfl stadium like every i told you at the game i hadn't had, hadn't had a seat that good since i was walking the sidelines of a high school game uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was really incredible view and the, the stadium was one of the you know I, I told you one of my my favorite nfl stadium is seattle uh, it, it's really a great stadium. Um, I like this Tottenham Hotspur better than Seattle. It was just such a cool, cool stadium. Uh, so cool. <laughs> the bus ride's a little long, but um, so cool to be driving, driving, driving. And you're in the middle of this, you know, it, it, it had a Wrigley Field, field feel to it or Fenway Park where you're, you're just driving in the middle of this town and all of a sudden – Here's this beautiful stadium that really doesn't look like it belongs, but it's an incredible place. And, the, you know, the, you, you walk up to it and you go into that press box. We are so used to being these hermetically sealed press boxes where you can't even really get a feel for the crowd um, so so often. You know, I, I can't is – there, is there – unless you're in an indoor stadium in the NFL, uh, you're – you're pretty much sealed up in the press box and all the outdoor yeah. stadiums. These I'm days. trying to think. The old Raiders stadium at the Oakland Coliseum was open uh, outside. Of course, that dump is still there, but not for the Raiders. Um, but they I don't. Will open the, they will open the windows at uh, FedEx Field, the, the Washington Stadium. But it's but you you're so miserable because they put you in the end zone. They put the visiting team's announcers in the end zone. I mean, the the Eagles announcer Merle Reese has been doing. He's like 74 years old, 75 years old been doing it for 45 years they make him sit in the end zone last year he was so upset with them that he didn't even go to the game he said i'll call the game from home. <laughs> yeah fedex is trying to call an nfl game from the end zone <laughs> it's just ridiculous yeah fedex field is not an enjoyable no place. but they do have hope they do open their windows sometimes i give them that <laughs> yeah the the best press box use that i've seen in the nfl baltimore is really good and low and of course we were just in nashville and that that's very good and low as well and so yes. you, you, know, you want to be central and low um and that's what Tottenham hotspur was at you know that's what baltimore and tennessee are of course those they're inside um but yeah i mean it's really hard for us unless you're at um 
you know, Ford Field in Detroit is out is not sealed in. Right. In Indianapolis, I think you are sealed in. So it's nice to be able to get that crowd noise and feel that. And um, the Vikings isn't sealed in either, but that's indoors too. Yeah. So that'll be a fun one uh, that later this year the Giants will be up there. And so, um, yeah, like the, the field of, of around Tottenham Hotspur was amazing. I mean, like in up in North London in this little neighborhood. And um, I don't know, people who may follow soccer a little bit in the Premier League, they had, uh, and you mentioned Wrigley, they had a, uh, stadium Tottenham Hotspur that the club did uh, called White Hart Lane that was there from 1899 to 2017 and and basically on the same exact spot. I mean 1899 that place was built. So you know you, they stuffed it in a neighborhood and 120 years ago and uh, right. it, it, who knows what kind of neighborhood was even there and then they demolished it, put the new place on the same site, and then Tottenham moved in there in 2019. And so I think they played their games at Wembley in the meantime. But regardless, that's why it sort of feels like, oh, this is in the middle of the neighborhood because forever, you know, for 100 year, hundred plus years, almost 120 years, they did have their stadium there. And it was a Wrigley. Um, and so it, it would be like if Wrigley Field was replaced by something uh, palatial like that, which, uh, you know, I don't think that would work fly here, but like, over you know over there for the for the purposes of hosting NFL games and hosting Premier League games, this place is remarkable and it has the one. You mentioned this along Seattle, like it has that one stand in the end zone that goes like straight up. It's like a single a single stand. It's not tiered, which right. which is really cool. It, no, it's it's a it was a great play. I it it moved up to the top of my list for NFL stadiums, even though it's a Premier League stadium. But it was I would like to go back and see a game there before I die <laughs> for sure. And, uh, you know, just like, what did you, uh, what did you think of the London experience overall? I know this is your first time, uh, going over there, let alone for, uh, to cover an NFL game. No, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I got the one day we had a full day to do some stuff on Saturday, went and walked around Buckingham palace. Uh, you just, um, just Churchill museum, his war rooms. I didn't get to go in and, any of these places, but just walking by them, it's just a really beautiful city. The The park there, St. James Park, is a beautiful, beautiful park. Um, it, the, the weather, we, when we left, when we left uh, New Jersey, the weather was miserable. It was raining every day for like five straight days because we had the remnants of the, the hurricane. And we got to, we, I don't think most people go to London for the weather, but the weather was just amazing the whole time we were there. Uh, and you just walk around, and the, the, the city is so clean. Um, the people couldn't have been any nicer. You know, I, it's a place I, I my first time there, but I, I will definitely, I would highly recommend going there to people, and I definitely want to go back. For sure. Like, if you have a chance as a, you know, I don't know how many non-Giants fans listen to this, but whenever the Giants go back or whoever you're a fan of, I would I would suggest it. I mean, it's, it's a great experience. Um, you know, it's an easy place to – to get around, you know, train wise, just, I mean, we, we had a bus that took us to the game and back, but you know, if you want to get to the stadium on a train, that's, it's much, let's just say it's much, much easier to do that than it is in that life stadium. Um, and, and everything about the, the experience was, was just fantastic. So, um, I would, I would highly recommend it if anyone had, has the chance to do it. And like you said, you never know what you're going to get weather wise, but it was perfect fall weather over there. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, I went in 2015 with the Jets. I think it was similar weather, maybe not as nice, but that was a cool experience, and this certainly was. 
as well here seven years later uh, with the Giants. And, of course, the Jets, I think, were there last year. And we'll see when um, – it's going to be probably a little while before either of these teams is back. But um, as we kind of look ahead here, uh, what's wild, speaking of the Jets and Giants, they both have winning records for the first time uh, through this deep into a season through week five uh, since 2015 when they were both over 500, I think, uh, about midway through the year that year, week nine-ish. So – Uncommon territory for the Jets and the Giants, um, but in terms of the Giants, the, look, the, these teams are both like all of a sudden Jets and Giants are like relevant. They're, we're not necessarily talking about rebuilding. So as we don't talk about rebuilding here with the Giants, like at four and one and where they are in the division, this is what they have next in their next five after their first five Ravens at home at the Jaguars at Seattle, then the bye. Then back-to-back winnable home games against the Texans and Lions. And before we get real quick into the Ravens situation uh, and Pickett, and, man, I mean, so you think three and two is totally plausible, right? These next uh, five games. Three, yeah, I mean, four and one is possible, and three yep. and two is definitely doable. Heading into, you know, you go three and two um, through through uh, up to Thanksgiving, and you're seven and three going to that or. Uh, yeah, seven and three going to Dallas, right? If you go three and two, yep. yeah. I mean, if, if you saw that coming, I got some farmland for you somewhere. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no way that any of us saw that coming. But hey, it's, it's there and it, it's very real right now. I mean, I almost think they should go three and two. Um, you know, of all those games we listed, this one coming up is probably the toughest one. It is. I mean, I think that they, you know, they all along you looked at the schedule and said, you know, they have some winnable home games. And sure enough, they beat the Panthers at home. They beat the Bears at home. They should beat the Texans and Lions at home. Uh, you know, Seattle's always going to be a tough trip regardless of how that team is com- comprised or whatever. Jacksonville, you know. It's hard to make. I don't know what to make of Jacksonville right now. You know, you thought yeah, they were tricky one. improved and then they go and lose at home to the Texans. But so. but this one here, I know everyone's riding high off, off the Packers win, but this is going to be a challenge with Lamar Jackson, I'm sure. Uh, and guess what? It's Wink Martindale, not necessarily going back to Baltimore, but getting a chance to face the team that, you know, oh, John Harbaugh essentially, you know, they, it was mutual-ish, they said, but, you know, he was he was moved on from, if you will, as defensive coordinator for the Ravens. And so here's his chance to go toe-to-toe with a guy he knows well in Lamar Jackson, uh, Sunday afternoon MetLife Stadium. Uh, how do you see it unfolding? How fascinating is this one? It's it's great that they're 4-1, and one, um, you know, going into this game. And the Ravens are coming off a game they gave away late. They're 2-2. Two and two. They had a... They're coming off a bye, which obviously helps them a little bit. I mean, it's it's a tough tough thing for the Giants to have have to travel the way they did, and then come. The, the only thing they got going for them is that they are home. Um, I just think that that they have to be a little tired, and they're beaten up. And I just think the Ravens are going to really need this game. Um, but I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I've been wrong plenty about the Giants so far, but I'm going to. I'm going to pick the Ravens here 20 to 20 to 16. Yeah. I mean, this Ravens team uh, three and two and they beat the Bengals on Sunday night. And so, but they only, yeah, they beat the, yeah. I'm sorry. I I, I thought they had a bye week. They, They beat the Bengals Sunday night. But, but the Giants don't have the bye coming off London. That's important to remember because they didn't take it. They didn't want the bye this early. Teams can get the bye coming off London. and They didn't want it this early, which, Okay, you know, I mean, I, I can see it, but let's be honest. I mean, these guys are going to be tired. The Giants are going to be tired. 
they're going to be play, fa- facing a Ravens team that, yeah, while they are three and two and they did win against the Bengals, you know, they, they're not, you know, they don't have a tremendous amount of wiggle room right now. Um, and so there'll be a fairly well-rested Bengals team uh, and 19 points against, against the Bengals, uh, fairly well-rested Ravens team, I should say. Um, I don't know. Like it's a tricky one, but Lamar Jackson is so darn good. Um, and he presents a lot of problems in different ways. And so I, I think, yeah, I think that they'll hold them to, uh, you know, I'm going to say Ravens 24, Giants 21. I think it'll be a close game. Um, I just, I think that Ravens defense should be able to do better, a better job against the Giants offense than, than, than the Packers did. And they're still going to have some dynamic challenges to face there with Lamar Jackson. So, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants won because, but let, look, if the Giants win this game, then it's off and running. It's off and running, and it's a collision course to the November twenty four Thanksgiving game, four thirty in the afternoon down in Dallas, Week twelve. Because, and that's really kind of what it is right now. Um, you know, even looking at this just from a thirty thousand whatever view, um, that's where this is headed, um, and especially it's going to be headed that way if the Giants are able to beat. Uh, the Ravens on Sunday because just going through the division real quick, everyone knows when I mean, Eagles five and zero, then Cowboys, Giants four and one, four and one, with the Cowboys having won already against the Giants, and then Washington toast in the toaster out of the mix here at one and four already. So you know, uh, you know, it's funny, Daryl. Two years ago, we were talking about how no team in the NFC East deserved to to be in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, and here we are two years later, and you know, three of the three of the best teams with the best records in the NFL are all from the NFC East and you know, what a run it's going to be from for these last 12 weeks. And there is a third wild card. Remember now. So just for argument's sake, I know this, if season ended today is silly, but let, what the heck let's we can, we were just talking all this playoff stuff. If you go down the NFC and look at how the seating is um, right, you know, so right now, what, what is it? Seven teams would make the playoffs, right? Is that how it works? Like the four yes. division winners and the yeah. three wild cards. Um, the one through seven right now, uh, from, you know, is well represented with NFC East. You go Eagles, Vikings, Bucks, Niners, Cowboys, Giants, Packers. Those are your seven with three NFC East teams. Uh, not long after, like you said, the division was basically, uh, in the toilet. Um, but, uh, and Washington won it right two years ago with it was seven and nine or whatever. Of course the Giants were all mad and Joe Judge was mad because of how that game unfolded with Doug (laughs) Peterson and Philly and that whole thing. Um, yeah, but it feels like a lifetime. Still be mad at the Eagles for that one. Yeah, <laughs> feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but we appreciate everyone taking the time to join us, and, and certainly anyone who made the trip to London. We hope you had a good time and a safe trip back. And uh, we'll be back here with you next Tuesday. And uh, look, we'll see what we'll be talking about because we certainly didn't expect to be talking about uh, a four and one start. So this Giants team continues to surprise. We appreciate uh, you guys listening. And uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on all your podcasting platforms. Uh, And until next week, uh, we'll talk to you then. Take care.